welcome everybody to a Monday night edition of the Crash the Pond podcast. This is an Inmates Run the Asylum episode where it's just myself and CJ Woodling with me. No Felix. It's all kids here to have fun, right? That's right. Yeah. So we're here. It's going to be a good time, but we have actually some serious kind of news to uh, talk about at the top of this. Uh, This past week, the NHL players decided to step up and on Thursday, um, out of protest due to the uh, uh, police shooting in Kenosha, Wisconsin, they decided to take a step back and not play the games on Thursday and Friday. And so kind of what were your thoughts on all of this, CJ? Because I want to kind of jump into this because this is this is the big topic. This is a big news. I mentioned it on our Patreon episode where Felix and I discussed this a, a little bit. But um, this may be the, the big thing that everyone remembers this playoff for. Definitely one of the big things. And I know the NHL got a lot of crap for how they handled the initial aftermath, because keep in mind, if you guys remember, the Milwaukee Bucks for the NBA were the first team to um, basically strike their game. It wasn't a protest, it was a boycott, this was withholding of labor. So this was a, um, a strike, specifically a wildcat strike. And um, basically what that means is that this was a strike by the players without the players union knowing they took it upon themselves to not play their game in protest of this. And, you know, Jacob Blake was definitely the big thing. I think that the tipping point, though, was probably the Kyle Rittenhouse thing, the 17 year old who came over and shot several protesters and how that was handled. And so it's really a... um, it's a situation where I think they got a lot of crap and, and I think rightfully so to some extent, obviously you couldn't do anything about the earlier game. Um, the later games they played and then they held up this like really weird sign about ending racism. And it just in the context of everything, it seemed a little tone deaf. Now that being said, the next morning, the, players basically drove a movement to cancel their games and to not play in solidarity. And a lot of the reporting that's coming out was uh, that players were calling specifically like Ryan Reeves Mm -hmm. and um, a few others. And they were getting in contact with members of the hockey diversity Alliance, which was Akeem Alou, Evander Kane's been a big proponent of that. And there were just, tons of players and i believe reeves said at one point that there were like over 200 players who went to these meetings that they had in the middle of the day to talk about what they should do and how they should move forward and that to me shows uh, some really great character and some really good um i, I i'd say some good determination from the players to want to do what they believe is right because the NHL has been talking for so long uh you know ever since the George Floyd protests about standing up against racism standing up against uh, um injustice police brutality things like that and they have been wanting to learn and grow and i feel like that even if it was a little bit late at the end of the day they did do a good job later on with a player-led movement to and, stop the games for a couple of days. And, and jumping in a little bit here, Felix mentioned this on our, our Patreon episode, and I think it, it's a it's a pretty good point that it is hard for the NHL to be first when it is a predominantly white league. And I think yeah. that it is telling, though, that when you saw that video on, what would that have been? Was that Thursday night? Uh, with all of the Western Conference teams with there with Ryan Reeves and there to support him. And Ryan Reeves said, he's like, Kevin Shattenkirk texted me in the morning. All, all of these guys were reaching out to him. And 
it almost felt like this was the moment where everyone, at least in the hockey, in that bubble, got it and got that this was bigger than them, that they needed to take a step back and that they needed to essentially allow everyone to kind of think about this and have conversations about this. Because at the end of the day, that was the purpose of the protest. The purpose of the protest yep. is their entertainment and, and hockey exists as an escape. Like, and, and, and that's what it's there for. It's meant to be an escape from everything. But these are real life issues and an escape shouldn't happen from them. And the conversations within communities, within different things, those need to happen. And so that is what the players are stepping up and doing is they are trying to take a step back. My only criticism, my, my hmm. criticism isn't of the players because I think the players did a fantastic job. I think that them all standing up there together, them being there with Ryan Reeves, it was really meaningful. It was really powerful. And that to me, when I said that this is going to be one of the things that we look back on this playoffs as being one of the, the big moments, it's going to be all of those players standing there together. Because to me, that mm-hmm. is one of the images of this playoffs that will go down in this weird, weird playoff. Um, my main criticism of all of this, though, actually has to do with kind of the NHL and the their, their broadcast partners on this in the sense of they had multiple hours of TV time. And, and I've mentioned this a couple different places, but I want to mention it here because I, I think that it it was a really big lost opportunity from them where they had, I mean, what it was four games that were canceled, something like that between, mm-hmm. between Thursday and Friday. So that's what, like eight hours of TV time, something along those lines, eight to nine, eight yeah. to 10 hours of TV. Use that to focus on, on people of color it, within the hockey. Use that to focus on the, you can play movement. I, I mentioned this, but it, it doesn't necessarily satisfy what we're, we're talking about right now, but it is a big portion of, you can play movement uh, of diversity of things like that show an NWHL TV game on TV. That, that is yep. something where you can highlight and you can make a lot of good out of the situation because this is a crappy situation. Let's be honest. And right now that is a way that you could find some, some way to make good on it. And that's what the players are trying to do. And so I think that it, the one big criticism is that they weren't jumping on it with something like that. And that's not something that's hard to do. I guarantee that NWHL would give them a, a championship game or something like that. One of their best games for them to watch. Show show the U.S. women's game again. The U.S. women's against Canada. Easy. NBC owns the rights to it. Like, these are easy, easy calls. And well, no, they don't. The Olympics owns the right. NBC doesn't own rights for that. But, really? I, but I get what you're trying to say. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. they can't show that. Fair enough. So the the, the thing that I just want to like, yep. uh, really hammer home here. Go for it. Is that to the people who say keep politics out of sports, those people do not know the history of sports, and they view sports and they view the athletes that play them as basically monkeys for their own entertainment, puppets for their own entertainment. And the reality is, is that these players are human beings. And just because most of them are millionaires and just because they live sort of this privileged life, that doesn't mean that they're not capable of feeling human emotion. That doesn't mean they're not capable of caring about certain situations and letting their voice. For players of color, we've seen stories over and over again, especially in hockey, about how prevalent racism is in hockey, even against some Mm -hmm. of the biggest black stars. And this is not something that you can do. Yes, we usually use it as an escape. And one of the reasons why I was so glad that hockey and just sports in general came back was that there's so much going on in the world. I wanted a little bit of normalcy restored. 
And, and having but, an escape isn't a bad thing either. No, and, it, and, it's, and it's absolutely it's good for your not. mental health. But exactly. But when rubber meets the road, when these issues come up, and you have a platform as large as professional sports does, capable of affecting so much change, capable of getting a message out there. This is something that you just kind of have to expect and you have to understand that this is going to happen. You think back to all sorts of politics and sports being intertwined. You think back to Jesse Owens, Muhammad Ali, um, Jackie Robinson, just so many of these big social issues. And by the way, I do want to say that what we're talking about right now is not a political issue. If you think it's a political issue, you are wrong, and I have no problem saying that to your face. This rises above politics. This is a human rights issue. Human rights are not politics. They can be intertwined, but they are two separate things. And so what you're doing here is you are standing up for human rights, and these players are lending their support to that. And if you don't necessarily agree with what's going on, that's not a terrible thing, but you have to at least understand what they are protesting and why they are doing this. And if you don't, then that's on you. Yep. I, I, let me end it Let me end it with this, then we'll move on. Mm-hmm. There is no difference between the players voicing their political opinions and or on this, as you mentioned, a human rights issue, than you being Joe, than Joe Schmo being on Twitter meant talking about it. There's no difference there. And, and so yep. that that is um, kind of where the sense. So transitioning, actually, um, Tampa Bay just won. Tampa Bay has officially outed the Boston Bruins. That is a massive deal. Wow. That is a massive, That's massive huge. deal. If I remember correctly, I was the only person, am I am I remembering right? The only person to pick the Tampa Bay Lightning out of you, me, and Felix? I know I picked Boston in seven, so L- let, let my, me, uh... Let me double check here. Let me double terrible. check. Felix also Wow, no, 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 no. Don't worry about it. We'll just assume you're wrong and move on. We don't need to do this. Felix also um, decided to uh, pick Boston in seven. And who was it that put together a meme? Of CJ and Felix locking hands, saying, uh, agreeing on that Jake is wrong. Him. That, that guy. That, over there. that, that pillow? The pillow did? That, that guy. Okay, yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, still, Jake right? CJ Felix wrong. <laughs> it wasn't wrong. me. <laughs> CJ Felix wrong. No, but I, I mentioned this, and we have more stuff that we're going to get into here, but this is obviously big news, seeing as it's just happened. Um... Tampa, I put in my article this past week that they are kind of showing the signs of what they were last year and what they were supposed to be in the playoffs, except the playoffs are a small sample. And they are playing like that. And if you are an Eastern Conference team, or a team in the NHL, be terrified because they, they've they done this without Steven Stamkos. They did it tonight. So with- what you're saying is that regular season doesn't matter? <laughs> um, Why? How, yeah, why? I think that's what you're saying. Yeah. I think I think you're saying playoffs matter way more. Oh yeah, yeah. The small sample size matters. But exactly. No, it's for me. Statisticians it's, hate him. It's great <laughs> to see a team that is very good do well in the playoffs. It is very very nice mm-hmm. to see that. So I'm happy to see Tampa move on. Good on them. Sad that Andre Caution, Nick Ritchie won't have a chance to go win a cup. But keep in mind, Tampa's doing this without Stamkos. They did it tonight without Kucherov. It's insane. Yeah. 
They're they're looking really good. I, they're playing, and I wouldn't even say that Tampa, for the most part, is overwhelming people. They're just they're playing just good hockey. They're rarely making mistakes, yeah. and I, they're they're just a team that's put together so well, back to front, and they're the type of team that you watch that if you want to see a hockey team play just a high level quality hockey, you watch the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah. Yep, Victor Hedman, by the way, with the winner. Um, so, now that that's done, the topic we were going to get into before we get into our typical uh, type of content for the past week in the NHL, what kind of spurred this was Shea Theodore had a fantastic game. And, Lewis, I see that you're in the chat. You're going to hate us for talking about this because I saw you on Twitter yesterday just uh, muting the word Shea Theodore. So, apologies for this. But what, what spurred this was Shea Theodore had a massive game yesterday, and it brought on the conversation between us, between Yumi and Felix, in our uh, group chat of, is that the worst trade in Ducks history? And it got me thinking, you brought up a trade that I will just hammer you on as being a good trade now. But it got yes. me wondering, what are what are the best trades and what are the worst trades in Ducks history? And so I kind of made a list of a couple, and I want to go through them with you. Um, Some of them are going to be before your time, CJ, but I think that they're worth bringing up, and they're they're interesting trades. So, But before we get into that, um, let me do this real quick. I I was going through – let me get to it really quick – NHL Trade Tracker. NHL Trade Tracker has on their website – Best trades and worst trades. So I was like, oh, that's perfect. That's exactly what I'm looking for. Biggest trade, or sorry, it's biggest trades and worst trades. There's one trade under biggest trades for the Ducks. Take a guess. It's from post-2011. Uh, it's, hmm. The big- is it Kessler? It is Kessler. How is okay. Chris yeah, that makes sense. not on here? How is Tamu Solani not on here? Yeah, that's... Yeah, you, you, you telling me 2011 was the giveaway. Yeah, I know. Because the, the Kessler trade is easily the biggest trade, you know, since 2010, 2011, or whatever. But, yeah, in terms of impact, yeah, I, I Solani and Pronger were bigger. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. Okay. And now, worst trades. Here are the worst trades in Anaheim Ducks history. I'm not even going to let you guess, because... It's just absolutely laughable that these are on here. Okay. June tenth, two thousand or year the year is two thousand. The Anaheim Ducks trade to the Calgary Flames a second round pick, and a, which became Matt Pettinger, and they acquired John Sebastian Jaguer. What? Yeah, they have that as one of the worst trades. Yeah, yeah. How did they? <laughs> How did they even come up with that? I am calling out NHL Trade Tracker because this is just laughable. Do they have a bot that just came up with random and trades? And here's the sec- the only other one on this worst trades list. From February 7th, 1996. The Winnipeg Jets acquire Chad Kilger, Ole Teradowski, and a 1996 third-round pick that becomes per Anton Lundstrom for a fourth-round pick. Mark Schwinnard and Tamuslani. The Ducks acquiring... Something is legitimately wrong. Yeah, yeah. It's hilarious. How? Something is... How? 
I, I, there's no way somebody picked these. There was some sort of a mistake. There was, there's something that's there's wrong something. here because these are two of the best trades in Ducks yeah, history. Yeah, there's something very, very wrong there, and it was hilarious. When I saw that, I was like, oh, this is perfect. I can just look at this, and it might highlight some things for me to give me a refresher. Nope. Well, nope. It, it gave me that. But <laughs> the funny Good thing Lord. is, is that Tamusalani to the Anaheim Ducks was, is potentially one of the best trades in Anaheim Ducks history. The Ducks get Tamusalani, who... Um, on the last podcast, I believe Sean, who's in our Twitch chat, got kind of mad at, uh, at how many goals we said Tamus Lonnie would have had, uh, in an era adjusted season in his rookie year. By the way, Sean looked into a little bit more. We were maybe a little bit low at f- assuming 45 goals. He's probably more in the 60 range. Um, but getting Tamus Lonnie, who would become just a stalwart for the Ducks, um, would, uh, they got him for Chad Kilger, Ole Tardoski, who's no slouch, let's be real, decent, def- pretty good defenseman, but they got him for Chad Kilger, who's a nothing, a third-round pick, and they got a fourth-round pick back. So basically, they lost one round in the draft, traded it, and got Tamus Lani for Tardoski. I mean, let's just say Schwinnard and Kilger cleared each other out. Mm-hmm. That's absolute highway robbery, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And, and in fact, that, that team of Solani trade may be like, not, and not only is that probably the best trade in Ducks history, that's probably one of the greatest trades of all time of like in the NHL. Yeah. It, it's, it's a very, very good trade in hindsight at the time, everything like that. So, um, hardcore Luchador saying maybe they have it reversed and those aren't the worst trades. I can show you my screen. The screen said worst trades in Anaheim Ducks history. Yeah. I'm, I'm on that page too, and he's right. I can confirm. I that. mean, it does feel like it's flipped though, it, a little bit. It there. does, but it does. All right, here's another one that uh, this is a. Let's do the bad one of this and a good one because they're they're definitely tied together. And so at the end of this, let let's pick best and worst out of these lists. But it for the worst category, you have Ryan Whitney and Eric Tangrady. I I believe is who is traded with a uh, or sorry. Uh, Chris Kunitz and Eric Tangrady for Ryan Whitney, I believe, is the the mm-hmm. trade. Let me confirm that really quickly, though. It is. Um, so that is just an awful trade. Ryan Whitney yeah. was a pylon. There, there's no way to nowhere, no way else to call it. And they gave up Chris Kunitz, who, granted, I think got a little overrated. I don't know if you would agree or disagree with that. A little bit overrated because he played with Crosby. Yeah, I mean, Kunitz is pretty much the textbook answer of, um, you know, what happens when you put a decent but not fantastic forward with an elite center. Like, he's basically the case study of that. Yeah, I mean, he had 388 points in 569 games in Pittsburgh. Like, that's not, that's pretty damn good. Um, it is. But you're playing with Crosby. But, so, who exactly. knows, who knows if he, uh, who knows if he would have produced like that in Anaheim? I mean, he was, uh, let me see, when he was with the Ducks, I mean, he was putting up 60 points, 50 points uh, with the Ducks. And granted, they did trade him at 29 years of age, and they got back mm-hmm. Ryan Whitney. And Ryan Whitney... And Ryan Whitney at the time was decent. Like, it, 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 I think at the time, that wasn't a horrible trade. I think the issue with Ryan Whitney is it's almost as if... I think advanced stats were just coming into their own. They hadn't really hit mainstream at that point in time. I feel like if we would have had advanced stats back then, someone would have been able to tell you Ryan Whitney's not good. 
Um, yeah, he, I think you may be right. He was 25 years old at the age, at the time of the trade. He's coming off. I mean, he had a, a 59 point season as a 23 year old in 06, 07. So he had some really strong production years, but he feels like a guy that got a little bit overrated because of his size. He was six, four, two ten. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just, it felt like that. So that's the bad. Cause that undoubtedly bad trade. Good. And just so you and and just so you see here too, I'm just kind of looking at his uh, metrics from 07 to 08 onward because that's when um, Corsi became an officially tracked stat. Um, his he only played. What did he did he only play 20 games in Anaheim? Uh, probably that sounds about right. Let me double check that for you. Yeah, yeah, 20 games. So here's the thing. 20 games He's, in 08. Well, because that was a deadline. Go to the next year. Go to 09 10. He played 62 uh, games in 2009 uh, 2010. Got it. Okay. So if I put that one. Um, so here's the thing. In 20 games with Anaheim, he had actually fantastic underlying numbers where he did. Um, well, there goes my theory. Uh, yeah, he had like a 58% expected goals for in those 20 games. However,. Hold on, from 0810. If you can put all of his Anaheim stint together, he ended up coming out with a 47.01 Corsi four percentage and a 48.52 expected goals. So no, he was not that great overall. He had he had a good 20 games once he was traded and then fell off the next year. Yeah. So the Ducks were able to trade him though and got Lubomir Vishnovsky back. And for those of you that don't remember, <laughs> which was great, Lubomir Vishnovsky was insanely good actually can you look up his advanced numbers i'm actually curious what they were because i mean the thing is this was pre me knowing about all the stats and so everything like that but in his mm-hmm. 81 games as a duck in 2010 2011 so they, they this trade happened the ducks acquired ryan whitney at the 2009 deadline at the 2010 deadline they moved him to edmonton to get lubomir vishnovsky in return um i believe that that was the entirety of the trade i will look that up real quick but basically, yeah, it was uh, Ryan Whitney in a sixth-round pick, which became Brian Davidson or Brandon Davidson for Lubomir Vishnovsky. Vishnovsky put up, let's see, where is this? Uh, 68 points in 81 games. That's really, so, really good for a defenseman. That is good, but his underlying metrics were very pedestrian well, for the Ducks. I will take, uh, I will take f- underlying numbers that are pedestrian if you're putting up 68 points. Yeah, and I'm and I'm fine with that too. For, I mean, obviously, it's not going to bode well for future production, yeah. but obviously, looking into the past, yeah, one hundred percent, it's fantastic. He had an expected goals for percentage with Anaheim of forty nine point one three, so not bad, but basically just kind of right, you know, mediocre. But that being said, I feel like Vishnovsky was even more valuable too because of his impact on Cam Fowler, a rookie Cam Fowler at the time. Um, I think that was huge for Fowler to yeah. play with uh, with him and that really helped with some of his development especially if Fowler if I think we all kind of agree that Fowler was hit the NHL too early but if he was going to be too early having Vishnovsky there to help him out I think is not the worst thing in the world yeah and so here's the reason why the those underlying metrics probably were uh, pedestrian he got a lot of his points on the power play which is something the Ducks have yeah, been lacking for a long time but he had 26 assists on the power play 26 of his 68 uh 20 sorry 26 of his 50 assists were on the power play so that's really yeah, good he was a power play machine yeah so okay so got that one um let me just real quick 
Chris Pronger to the Ducks. Um, they that trade is one that really was the point of the Ducks becoming a contender. So I don't want to spend too much time as we have on these other ones on those, but that trade to me is uh, one of the the biggest ones in Ducks history, to be honest. And so it has to be good. It was Chris Pronger uh, from Edmonton. The Ducks gave two Edmonton Lupul Schmid a first round pick, second round pick, and then it became another first round pick. And so it was a hefty, hefty uh, toll to give up. But Brian Burke has said it. Sometimes you have to make those big trades. You have to give up a lot to get something. And that's probably that's one of my big that criticisms. A lot of people, yeah, and that's the thing that so many people still don't understand here is that in order to get something good, you have to give up something good. None of these Nick Ritchie for Jonathan Drouin or, you know, or whatever these big trades were at the time. You have to give up. And that was a perfect example of that. And keep in mind, the Ducks were already contenders, I think, at that point without Pronger. Oh, yeah. Pronger just made, the made them a final. legit Stanley. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Pronger made them a legit conference fine, or like made them a legit Stanley Cup threat. Like, Pronger made that team the favorites for the Cup. And that's the thing, too, is that, remember, Pronger was on Edmonton. He was a huge part of the reason why the Ducks were knocked out mm-hmm. that year against Edmonton in the Western Conference Finals. So what does Brian Burke do? He shells out everything he can. He lands Pronger. They win a Cup by trotting out you know scott niederbeier and chris pronger for 30 minutes a night yep like it's that's that's what we mean when we say look sometimes you gotta swing for the fences perfect example yep and then here's one this is the one that you brought up as being a bad trade and now i'm gonna call you out well see okay fine i i've accepted defend defend yourself this trade by the way is chris pronger being traded away from the ducks in june of 2009 defend yourself cj my, I see. I didn't realize this was a little bit before my time for fandom. So <laughs> Fair that's I'm part of the reason crap. why I have this. That being said, my one defense of that take for this trade of this being a bad trade is that I really it, like. Yes, Pronger was in the last year of his deal. He was 35 years old. Like he, it, it, there, there were signs on the wall to trade him. But I truly believe that if Pronger were still with the Ducks that year they could have had another cup. Like, Pronger's that good of a defenseman. He's they didn't... that much of a game changer. I think that the Ducks would have a really good shot at getting another cup. So here's my, my here's my argument against that, is that they didn't make the playoffs the next year. They were, what, eight points out of the playoffs? Which was, Something honestly, like with Pronger on your team? I don't know. I think, the, I think they Fri- can make that up. Fri- yeah, they're a fringe playoff team. But also, keep in mind, here, here's the great equalizer on this also. They don't trade Pronger, and they're within eight point, or they make it in the playoffs. Ducks don't have Cam Fowler. Yeah, that's also a good point. Yeah, there you go. You know, I come with but I come with be, logic well, and reason. You do, but honestly, I'd rather have another cup than Cam Fowler. I like Cam, but true. I see yeah. that. That's the thing is, <laughs> I I don't think they would have made. I don't think they would have made or won the cup as an eight seed with Chris Pronger. I mean, they they. Their chance was 09. And, and the reason why that Not trade is that good. that attitude. They were, they were, uh, what's up? Nothing. Don't worry about it. Okay. I didn't, I didn't hear what you said. Um, but the, the ducks were in cap trouble there. They were left in a really tough situation by, by Brian Burke and Brian Murray took over. And that was a deal that was made because Chris Pronger, I think had a couple years left making about over 6 million, which at the time was a lot. Um, and he was 35 years old. And so they were able to move him 
get Joffrey Lupa, Lucas Pisa. Lucas Pisa at the time, even though he's turned into what he is, um, he was actually a decently touted prospect. He was 19 years old at 18. He had played in the NHL. They had, um, and, and they got two first round picks, a conditional third round and a conditional third round pick. Um, the condition didn't happen because the Flyers would have had to win the cup, but they still got Lupul, Lupul, a roster player, who's a pretty good roster player, Sabiza, who's a good prospect, and two firsts. That's not too bad. That's not too bad at all. No, not at all. So uh, I, I actually say that's a good trade. Um, I got two more for you. One of them is good, but not great. So I'm just throwing it in here out of just because. Andrew Cogliano for a second round pick. That's a That was a good trade. That was a Very good, trade. good trade. Yeah. Good trade. One of the ones where you can kind of highlight what Murray's done well, which is find some younger talent and move picks for them um, to get the team back into contention when they were kind of in Getzloff and Perry's prime. Um, and here's the other one. This might be my favorite Ducks trade. It would have been, uh, I think, 2010, summer of 2010. Let me double check that. No, sorry. It would have been summer of 2011 where the Ducks would have traded um, with the Toronto Maple Leafs. uh, They traded the 22nd overall pick to the Maple Leafs and got the 30th overall pick back and the 39th overall pick back in the 20... Sorry, this is 2011. I've jumped around. Sorry. It is 2011 draft. No, which, which trade this is? The Toronto Maple Leafs picked Tyler Biggs with the 22nd overall pick. The Ducks picked Ricard Raquel at 30 and John Gibson at 39. Who are those if you, losers? If you're looking for a trade where you're giving away nothing and getting a great value in return, that is what happens there. Now, granted, it's a little bit different because it is magic beans at that point in time, without a yeah. doubt. But that's still, if you're looking at the history of trades, that's going to be one that goes down in a good way. Also, Dallas just scored 5-2. to two. I want this game... Michael Hutchison is in net. This game could end 10 to 8. I want it to happen. Please. Gimme. Please. All the goals. No okay. defense. No goaltending. Just pure adrenaline. Okay. So I got for the so we we ran through all the good and or all the good and one bad, which By was, the way, it's six to two. It, oh, it's it well stop. You're ahead of me. That goal must have well, just Well, you know happened. what? Get 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 an actual TV no, subscription, not no. this delayed streaming. No. Good lord, Kudobin. What kind of move was that? You're getting a live reaction oh to the game. In- enjoy this, people. Oh, my God. That was horrible. Kudobin should have stopped that easily. I'm getting a call Wait from... Wait till you see it. Anza. This is, this, this is what happens when you let the inmates run the asylum. I'm getting a phone call from Anza, California. I don't even know where that is. <laughs> uh... Who knows? Not somewhere in Central California. I don't, I don't know, but hi. I'm not answering it. Um, so here, here we go. So, um, bad trade time. We we started with the good news. We started with the the good things. Um, now let's do what everybody's favorite thing is, which is commiserate and shit on stuff. Let's yeah, do it. The, way more fun. So I'm the first bad trade that I want to bring up was March 2001. The Ducks traded Tamu Solani away. And they got Jeff Friesen, Steve Shields, and a second round pick. How do you trade away Tamus Lani and not? I mean, granted, I don't. I, I was ten. Yeah, I was ten then. You were definitely younger than that. I don't know what the value of a first round pick was back then. I don't know what trades were like. How do you not get a first round pick for Tamus Lani? 
Yeah, I have no idea. Who was the Ducks general manager at that time? I believe that may have been Brian Murray. Oof, because Brian Murray overall was good, but man, if, if if that was him, that was a that was a mess up. Yeah, it was that was not a good trade. I mean, there may be people out there that know the history of it a little bit more than I do. Um, seeing as you and I were you weren't paying attention really back then at all. I was young and even though I watch games, didn't really uh, pay attention in that same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, that would not. That would have been Pierre Gauthier. Uh, Brian Murray was the GM okay. starting in 2002. Um, Got it. So, yes. Um, the next trade that I have would have happened in 2008. This is when I can remember 2000. So, oh, just for to be completely honest. 2006 is when I think that I really got back into hockey and then 06, 07 made me kind of die hard. And so I remember all the trades really from 06, 07, 07, 08, everything like that. That's when I can remember every single trade when they happen. I remember actually just talking about trades. Why not? This is fun. Um, 2009, I can remember being pissed that they traded away Sammy Paulson and not believing it just because I didn't understand how the cap worked and and didn't understand the hard cap in the same way that I do now. And the Ducks were bad, and they needed to move away guys because they were in cap hell. And so it's funny. I can remember that trade happening and being like, no, no, no. Why would they do that? Why would they do that? Um, and so just hindsight's a funny thing from time to time. But this trade was done for similar reasons. They had to make a move, if I'm remembering correctly, because they were looking to re-sign Corey Perry. He was coming off his ELC. He needed uh, a new contract. And so one of the the casualties of that, one of the cap casualties of that was Andy McDonald. Um, this happened. I'm trying to find the trade very quickly right now. Um, but this happened in December of 2007. The Ducks traded Andy McDonald to the St. Louis Blues and got Doug Waite and a seventh-round pick and Michael Burner. Um, Andy McDonald was a very, very good player. A very, very good player for the Ducks team. I don't know if you would have remembered at all, but he was the center on the Tamuslani line during the, the cup run um, during his time with the Ducks. Uh, so 6 he had 78 points in 82 games. He had 78 points. Man, in 70 point players. What's that like? And in 5 6 85 points. So he's Beautiful. he was not a slouch. He was a smaller player and... I mean, part of it, I think, is he didn't exactly fit Brian uh, Burke's model of hockey because of him being so small. Um, But I'm trying to look up, just out of curiosity, what his cap situation was. But even if he was in the final year of his contract... No, he wasn't. He was in the second year of his contract. So he was making 3.33 mil against the cap uh, 06, 07, 07, 08, 08, 09. So he had two years left on his deal, just coming off those seasons. How is all that you get back... Uh, a veteran on a UFA or UFA contract in Doug Waite and a seventh round pick. And then I don't know, Michael Burner, I guess didn't really become anything. I don't really know. He maybe just the, the fact that you're getting Doug Waite may have been the appeal yeah. there. Even if it was past his prime Doug Waite on it coming up for yeah. a UFA. I mean, this was a Ducks team, I guess that was uh, one of the best teams in the West at the time. But I mean, let me look real quick how old he was. Doug Waite was 37. Yeah. How is that a trade that you make where you're, you're trading a prime age, Andy McDonald. You're, he was, he was, so he was just out of his prime. He was age 30. How do you do that? 
and not get actually something in return. Truculence. Like that That's why. That that to me is one where I was not going into this thinking about that trade and then I was mm-hmm. kind of going through the history and saw that I was like, "Oh man, that trade was bad." Like really really bad. Okay. Yeah, that was like literally just before my time. Yeah. Cuz I started you know, paying attention to the Ducks in 2010, 2011. All right. So we're going to jump ahead. That was a Brian Burke trade. We've gone through, uh, we went through a Pierre Gauthier trade. We went through a Brian Burke trade. Now we're getting into Brian, uh, Bob Murray, who granted Bob Murray was, has been the general manager for 10 plus years now for the Ducks for almost. Yeah. I mean, just to put that into perspective, Bob Murray has been general manager of the Anaheim Ducks for almost half of the franchise history. Yeah. So you're gonna make some good trades and bad trades, but yeah, there were some there there've been some bad ones. Kyle Palmieri for a second and third round pick, bad. See, so that was bad, but I think what made it worse was the him logic trying to justify the trade after the logic behind the trade made it so much worse in saying that um, he was gonna score too much and like. Look, when you really read between the lines, you kind of get what he's saying, where he's basically saying, yeah, he's going to score and price himself out of the Ducks, and we get that. But he still had another entire year left on his deal. And (laughs) if you really did think that he was going to score too much and do that, and you're in the middle of win-now mode going into, like, playoff runs, like, why? I don't get it. (laughs) You dug yourself into a way bigger hole. and, And he's an RFA. It's not as if he's a UFA. Even when that contract expires, you own his yeah. rights. Take advantage. Yep. Like it it just made no sense. No sense and at all. And that's the thing, he didn't have he didn't have the raw numbers that would have necessitated or that would have justified him getting Don't. this big deal or anything like that. Like he, it, his underlying numbers were great. Like anybody who was paying att- to attention to analytics knew that Paul Mary was a good player, but like even his traditional numbers, he yeah. he would probably was going to get a lot less than what he ended up getting in uh, New Jersey. I mean, here here's what I've said the last bit on various different trades that have happened. Never sell a guy when his value's low. If you think his value is going to get higher, hold on to him. Don't move him. Yeah. Like yeah. that that this isn't that difficult. This isn't rocket science. It's pure value assessment. It's not that Bob hard. Murray's a Bob Murray's a strategy on beating the stock market is to uh, sell low and buy high. Yeah, seriously. That legitimately. So, okay. All right, then here here's another trade. This happened at the 2015 deadline. This is one where I've actually argued, at the time, not a bad trade. But, to be honest, I I have to take my own advice here and um, look at things in hindsight. And whether it's good or bad, evaluate them in that sense. James Wisniewski in a third-round pick um, for Rene Bork, William Carlson in a second-round pick was a bad trade. No matter what, even if, like me... You think that Wisniewski was underutilized by Bruce Boudreau during that playoff run? That was a trade that assessed or uh, brought or brought a guy in that could kind of um, take over in some areas where the Ducks had some flaws. But to give up that amount of value and then trade the guy a couple months later for Anton Hudobin, who did not last that long on the Ducks, it's a bad trade. There's no way around it. Like uh, especially with. If William Carlson didn't become what he has become, you could make the argument, all right, if he's a third-line center, fine. 
but he's found his game. And granted, there's a lot of teams. Columbus looks dumb also because of how they handled Carlson. But just because multiple teams look bad doesn't make it all right. Like, yeah, you, you know what though? So here's my thing. That right, wasn't a good trade because of obviously what happened after. I still really hesitate to put use William Carlson as a reason why that was so bad. Partially because of Columbus and kind of how they weren't able to get anything with him. I agree. And Vegas I agree. Was, but also because look, I don't think any of us at the time thought that Boudreaux was going to uh, underutilize Wisniewski. Like, the the no. giving up that to get to Wisniewski and the, the proven, like, he had had a really good season with Columbus. He was injured at the time and had to get healthy again to come back. But, like, the Ducks, again, were in win-now mode. They were in, like, mm-hmm. Wisniewski is definitely the type of trade that in a vacuum at the time... Yeah, I thought was actually a pretty good deal, and that that was, was going after. It's it's obviously what happened mm-hmm. after that made it worse. It was Bob Murray taking a shot, and I think that that should be commended, and that's kind of my view on it. But I think that if we're talking yeah. about bad trades in hindsight, this is one. I, I think that you yeah, kind of have fair. to classify it mm-hmm. as that. And granted, there's plenty of bad trades and good trades that we haven't mentioned. This is just me kind of going through, making a quick list of of some of these trades just for fun. Um, seeing as um, there's no real Ducks games on right now, if you haven't noticed, so. Sometimes it's fun to look back on things and talk about them. So, As a person who just woke up from a coma in, in early March. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I can't wait to watch the Ducks right <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, uh, they're expecting training camp. They, they're expecting the, the prospect camp to happen right now. Well, yeah, can I go I, watch Trevor wow, Zegras? Wow, I just woke up from a coma. I'm really hoping for <laughs> training camp, and I can't wait to watch it in a group full of people. Who, who'd the Ducks take in the draft? Who Did they get the first overall pick? Uh, I hope so. Um, all right. This is just for fun. I, I, I'm i listing this trade here just because I have to for the brand, for my own, uh, to give you crap, to, to make me feel better and get you mad. Andre Kasha Uh-oh. trade. Uh, <laughs> why are you doing this to me? Uh, for those of you that don't know, CJ and I have a very big disagreement about this trade that CJ, CJ thinks it's bad, but it's not horrible. Whereas I view it as as awful, really bad. This is one of Bob yeah, Murray's I don't, worst I don't, trades. I don't, I don't view it as one of Bob Murray's worst trades. But yeah, it, it it's the le- it's the degree of badness that we disagree on. Yeah, so it, it's a bad trade though. I think we can agree on that. Yeah, I mean, it it wasn't a good trade for sure. Uh, but yeah, so it, it was not a good trade. I mean, you traded a guy that was at his all time low in value. I mean, let's just go through it uh, really quickly. They traded Andre Kasha got back David Backus, uh first round pick that is now going to be actually breaking news, breaking news, 27th overall pick. Boom. The best possible outcome. Yeah. At so this point. actually, nope. Taking him back. Good trade. Ducks got 27th overall pick. No, um, <laughs> it, it's still, it. it's still a low pick actually. Uh, yeah. We can get on that a little and bit. To be complete, I have some thoughts and to be there. completely honest with you, people, like like the difference in val- in pick value between like 27, 28, 29, and 30 is like negligible. Like honestly, it didn't really matter where Boston ended up. It wasn't going to be that big of a deal. And sure, you have a higher chance of doing it, but you know, realistically, eh. But still, we'll take it. 27th overall. Yeah. So 27th and Axel Anderson, who, um, what was it? Uh, on our Patreon episode, we ran through Corey Pronman's uh, organizational assessment and he hasn't. He has him as a maybe an NHLer. So the Ducks got David Backus and his cap hit. They got twenty seventh overall and a prospect that 
is maybe an NHLer for Andre Kasha. That's not a good trade. But mm-hmm. um, I actually want to talk on that pick real quick. Well, we've talked about that pick a bunch, and I think it being 27 is interesting. But the worst trade of them all, I, I really don't think there's any argument, and we can circle back to what the best trade is. But the worst trade, sorry, Lewis, Shea Theodore. I don't think yep. there's any argument here. The Ducks were in a position to fail, no, no, no doubt there, um, going in the expansion draft because of how their roster was set up. And that's, I, I think that that is a, a point that needs to be made because I think we're going to – hammer Bob Murray with this trade. So I think saying that the Ducks were in a bad position because of their roster setup, the age of the roster, the fact that um, it really kind of, um, they were set up to compete and they had prime age players and everything like that. And um, so I think that that needs to be stated. The issue that Bob Murray had, because also I think when he gave Kevin BX that no move clause, they didn't know how no move clauses were going to be, um, handled during the expansion draft so i think that i i think that these are important things to lay out to to lay out all the facts and everything like that but there was a way around it you could have kevin bxa reportedly on his podcast stated that he actually went to bob murray i don't know did i ever tell you this that that he said this? i don't think you did where he said bob murray approached him about waving his no move clause kevin bxa said i'd be willing to do that if you could give me an extension which is I think com- a completely fair thing for Kevin Bieksa to, st- to say. And Interesting. basically what happened was Kevin Bieksa a week or two before the expansion draft went to Bob Murray and said, oh, what's happening with that? You never got back to me. He's like, oh, don't worry. We- we've got it taken care of. And, and Interesting. And so Kevin Bieksa would have been willing to waive his no movement clause. Now, granted, here's the thing. If in order for that to be effective, if they were trying to protect Manson and Votnin, they would have had to have moved one of Manson or Votnin prior to the expansion draft. And Votnin was supposedly hurt, so it it could hurt something. It, it could have affected his trade value. Maybe they didn't want to make the trade, different things like that. But would in hindsight, would you have made that deal with Kevin Bieksa and dealt with him having, an, as a Ducks fan, been okay if it came out that he got an extension, but it was because he waived his no-move clause? Yes. Yeah. Like, Shea, Shea Theodore is that good. And to be completely honest, even if you do extend BX, uh, you still have ways of either eating that, buying him out, and dealing... Like, you're going to deal with the financial repercussions of that for so long, but there's still ways that you can get him off your roster. It's not like you're necessarily forced to play him, or you at least give him a an opportunity to, to look, because... Bieksa had moments in his Ducks career where he was, you know, fine and serviceable. So, but Shea Theodore is, I mean, he's just that good. He had that much potential. He, like, I would gladly take it, it felt another very, two, three years of Bieksa. It felt very um, short-sighted based upon, um, based upon his his playoffs that he had. Shea Theodore, if you don't remember, had a pretty poor playoffs the the previous mm-hmm. season. Um, going, I believe, yeah, 2017. So when the Ducks made the conference final against um, the Nashville Predators, and Brandon Montour had kind of a breakout performance, and it almost felt like they they put too much weight in that, and really yeah, op- and thought that Montour was going to be the next best thing, and Theodore wasn't going to be that great. And now, granted, also we should mention, sorry, adding a lot of qualifiers here because we're talking about a prospect, but who knows if he would have developed this way um, when he would have uh, stay if he would have stayed with the Ducks. But all things considered. The Ducks 
trading away a player that was not eligible to be taken in the expansion draft due to Bob Murray's mismanagement of various different things is the worst trade in Ducks history. Because if yeah. if you were to and- look back and just say, all right, the Ducks lose one of Manson or Votnin, that's better. Like, if that would have been a tough pill to swallow. But here's the thing. Like, I still believe that the original signing of the Kevin Bieksa trade is the root of all of this. The fact that the Ducks traded for him and them trading for Bieksa wasn't necessarily the worst thing in the world. It wasn't good, but it wasn't necessarily the worst thing in the world. What made it awful was the fact that they signed him to an extension um, with a full no-move clause before he even ever played a game for the Ducks, and when it had been extremely clear that he had been really starting to decline over the previous two seasons. Like, I, I, I just don't know what goes through your head. Or, you know what, now that I think about it, yeah, I mean... Well, so so here... Bob here, Murray... So Kevin Bieksa is... Uh, so Josh Manson is a defenseman that Kevin that Bob Murray thought Kevin Bieksa was. Oh, yeah. Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing with Kevin Bieksa. And I... Uh, not defending him at all, not defending this trade at all. I'm just laying out the facts here. I'm pretty positive it was well reported that when the Ducks traded for him, the only way he was going to accept, or the only way, that, yeah, because I think he had a no-move clause previously. The only way he was going to accept to trade is if there was an extension as part of it with the full no-move yes, clause. correct. So if the Ducks were that hell-bent on getting Kevin Bx, that a no-move clause had to be there. And so I think that's. But I think I may. I, I think, think that, that argue- also just goes to show that that also just goes to show that again, Bieksa had been really declining. He hadn't been good in Vancouver yeah. for at least a couple of years. Yeah. I mean, he was a good defenseman at one point. Like he was a very good stay-at-home defenseman, especially during their 2011 Cup run. But like he he was clearly not good anymore at that point. Yeah. And I think that just it illustrates Bob Murray's obsession, especially at that time of getting big grinding guys who hit in a league that at that point was starting to undergo change to more speed and skill based. Yeah, exactly. So, all right. So I think we both agree. Worst trade in ducks history. Shay Theodore. Yep. All yep. right. I, th- I think honorable mention goes to trading away Tamu and Andy McDonald trade. I think those are the honorable mentions for me. I agree. Um, yeah, I think that's fair. Good. What is your best trade in Ducks history? <sighs> Ryan Kessler also, I, we didn't mention as being a good trade. That was a good trade also. I should say that. Yes, the Kessler trade was good. The extension was bad. But the the, the, the trade itself was very good. The other thing that I do want to give up and I want to mention about that is that people commend Bob Murray a lot for that trade. And I think you... He, I mean, he pulled off the trade like should he have made it some three months earlier but number one he should have made it three months earlier and number two kessler had jim benning over a barrel at that point like like this wasn't some master g masterful gm move by bob murray ryan kessler would have only accepted a trade to one of three teams the boston bruins the chicago blackhawks or the anaheim ducks it was reported that the boston bruins weren't willing to really make a serious run at him so it became between the hawks and the ducks and and kessler basically was just like look you have to do this and bob murray put together a good enough package to get it done yeah it was a good trade but that was set up on an absolute T for him. Yeah, exactly. He so, just took advantage of it. Okay. So you give him credit for that, but don't say yep. he's this so, big wizarding GM. What do you think the best trade in Ducks history is? <sighs> I have a very tough time arguing against the original Timu trade. Okay. I, I, I think it's got to be that one. To be different, 
Yeah. I'm going to go with the Chris Pronger to the Ducks trade because that is the trade that put the Ducks over the top and won them the Stanley Cup, in my yep. opinion. So those are two big trades. Those are two franchise-altering trades. I think that those are the only two out of the good list. Gibson and Raquel also, I think, is potentially in that mix um, in terms of long-term longevity and things like that. But to me, the Pronger trade, the Tamu trade, are the two instant changes in franchise history. Um, Absolutely. So um, real quick, 27th overall. Have you done much research into who you think the Ducks should take with that that pick now that it's 27? Because 27, to me, does impact it a little bit from being 31. Because, to me, the player that I really want to see at them take is J.J. Paterka. He may be taken with 20. There are a lot of people projecting him in that 27 range. And so the Ducks being 27th is a big deal because they could potentially get J.J. Paterka now. And supposedly, if I'm remembering correctly, the Ducks... Um, had mentioned they were scouting guys in Germany. And so obviously that probably meant Tim Stutzla at the time, but if you're going to see Stutzla, you're going to see Reichel, you're going to see Paterka also. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, just looking at, uh, so looking at some of the, the rankings and stuff here, I've done a little bit of research and what I would say is that there's um, somebody who I could really see now that it, I think it really is going to depend here on, um, uh, wh who the Ducks get at six. If the Ducks get Jamie Drysdale or D at six, I think that does kind of impact what happens at the back end of that draft over there. Um, however, they get a forward, then you, you could reasonably see them going more for uh, a defenseman at that point. Now, I've been a big fan as far as um, forwards go of uh, William Wallander. Um, I think that he could be available at those points. And I mean, he's he, isn't, like William is, Wallander. Wait, isn't Wallander a defenseman? Am I going crazy here? Uh, no. Oh, sorry. Will, Wallander is a defenseman. So, yes. So I, I, I take that back. Wallander uh, as a defenseman, if they go with a forward at six overall. And I think the big thing is that Wallander, he's huge. He's six foot four, but. He's he an incredible me. skater. He scares me because Why? of being six foot four. That like that draft profile just personally scares me. And Fair. grant and, and, and that's just my personal preference. Actually, you want to know a player, I don't know if you've looked into him too much. I want them to take I don't I think he'll be available in the second round. I want them to take a what is it, thirty six, I think is their next pick, something like that. Um Jeremy Poirier. He absolutely killed it. But he he's more of an offensive defenseman, very risky. Um, and so if you look at his stats from this past season, Jeremy Poirier put up, and he's a player I've been harping on actually a little bit of late. Um, he put up, uh, let me go to it, uh, 20 goals as a defenseman, 53 points in 64 games as a defenseman in the QMJHL. That's pretty good. That that's pretty pretty good. I mean, let me just look it up. But I'm uh, Jamie Drysdale. Granted, difference between OHL and QMJHL, there is a slight difference. QMJHL is a little bit easier to score. Jamie Drysdale put up 47 points in 49 games. So a little bit better point production-wise, but if you can get Jeremy Poirier in the second round, that, that could be a steal. Absolute steal. Hmm. You didn't even let me finish my Sorry. Wallander. I, I, got too, I got too excited about Jeremy Poirier. Go on, go on. Give me your Terrible. Wallander rant. 
<laughs> um, the, again, the, the, the biggest reason why I really like Wallander is not only because of his size, but the fact that he's an incredible skater at 6'4", and the fact that he's young. Um, he, he's got a late July birthday, so he is fairly raw, and I do think that does make him a little bit more of a risky pick um, in the, you know, at 27 overall. But he is a game who has, I think, a very high ceiling if he can uh, shore up a few of the holes in his game. And, and it's not very often that you see a six foot four guy who can move like him. That's one of the reasons why Quentin Byfield is so highly ranked is because he's six foot four and the dude skates like a like the wind. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons why I really like him as a defensive pick. I do agree with you though um, uh, that um, uh, Patinka is actually going to be uh, Paterka is actually a very exciting prospect, um, and I do agree that that he would be a very interesting forward at that point. Yep. All right, so let's get into this past week. There were there were some hockey played this last week in the bubble. There have been some exciting games. There's an exciting game going on right now as we speak. So let, let's get into some of the, the topics that Felix and I have been kind of going on this. So um, let me know, who do you want to put a spotlight on? A former duck that you want to put a spotlight on from this past week. It can be anyone who's a former duck that's playing in the playoffs. I've got a couple listed, I can, but I've got one that I want to go with. But... Lay it out who you want to give a little bit of a spotlight to. Just for uh, reference, I put a spotlight and actually said nice things about Derek Grant last week. Wow. I know. I'm so proud of you. I'm making steps. I'm trying to be nice and be positive. You really are, aren't you? Um, I think that I'm probably going to take your selection, but just watching Shea Theodore has just been such a damn privilege to this, like, you can tell he just, I mean, you can tell that he's putting up a case to eventually make a, a, a serious Norris run. Yep. Um, so I have him listed. I may, I put another one down though, just because I kind of figured that, uh, you might say that. So I'm going to put a spotlight on Pat Maroon. Pat Maroon had this past week in, let me see how many games it technically was in his four, four games this past week. 68.44 expected goals for percentage. Jesus. He's Who's he playing with mostly? Uh that's a very good question. Let me look it up actually. I believe he's playing yeah. he's playing on the Tampa Bay I think fourth line, but he's getting power play minutes on top of that. So, he's an interesting player where he can really kind of play all I mean we saw this when he was with the Ducks. He can yeah, play up I like and down him. the lineup. I like him getting second unit time just because and and we saw you know even though I think Pat Maroon was probably a little bit better with with the ducks like we saw that he got a lot of power play time and he was basically the perfect guy for Getzloff to bank pucks in off of and I don't think that skill set has changed you plant him right in front of the net with a man advantage on the second union and, and you've got a really good uh, body guy in front so, of the, the, the net there so I like him there I wasn't fully able to watch all of the the game tonight but does someone tell me if this is right I'm looking at daily face off right now which is a great website if you're looking for line cobbles things like that if you play DFS different things along those lines the fourth line for the Tampa Bay Lightning is currently listed as Pat Maroon, Cedric Paquette, and Luke Shen. Luke Shen? Yeah. I know he's on Tampa. Why was he... Did he play on the fourth line tonight for Tampa? And I just didn't watch the game until overtime, and that's why? Is Tampa carrying seven defensemen and asking him to switch? Oh, that might be why. I, I don't think, think, I don't I think, think that's what it is. I, I, pr- I don't think there's a way for Daily Faceoff to list seven defensemen. 
And yeah, so that's probably I'm, what I'm, that is. I'm pretty sure that Luke Shen has been their seventh defenseman. So they've been roll. They've only been rolling uh, eleven forwards then. Which exactly. actually makes Pat Maroon even that much more um, more influential in a lineup because he's a guy that can yeah. basically play wherever. And, and so that that's – I want to put my spot on him. I know some, he, he leaves a little bit of a bitter taste in some Ducks fans' mouths because of various different things. But, I mean, he is a former Duck. He's a player that played a big role in the 2015 uh, conference final run, and he's having a hell of a playoffs right now. So, all right, yep. let's get into this. Hero of the week. Who is your hero of the week? It can be a coach. It can be a player. It can be a team. It can be what a, 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 a broadcaster. Whoever you want it to be. Who's your... Man, I'm going to say this, and I'm, I'm going to be eating a little bit of crow here, both because of what's happening right now and because of what I said before this series. Um, I, I, I got to say Rick Bonus is my hero of the week. What the Dallas head coach has done so far in this series against the Avs, I think is nothing short of extraordinary. Like going into this, I was never a big fan of bonus as a coach. Um, I've always felt that generating offense has been his weakest ability. He's been a solid defensive coach, but when he's behind the bench, he, you know, his teams have never really scored much. And so I just thought, Oh man, going against this juggernaut of an offensive team, the Avs, that's going to be, you know, that, that that's pretty going to be pretty obvious. But it turns out that all of my playoff takes are aging like three-day-old milk. Yeah, you, you're, you're not doing too well. No, I am not. But you know what? I'm actually kind of okay with that just because it's like utter chaos right now. Oh, it is. But I got to admit, man, he's got Dallas playing just this explosive game. They're taking advantage of the Avs' mistakes. Um, it, he's got them confident. Like, Dallas is just playing with a swagger that I don't think I've ever seen them I play with. I will say, slight caveat, Colorado losing Eric Johnson and Philip Grubauer really, That's really helped out Dallas. That's definitely big. Um, but again, I just, it, 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 this is a series that, you know, the, the, the stars could have easily gone in yeah. and just been like, okay, look, we're just going to try our best. No, bonus has them playing like they're like, no, you know what? We were the favorites all along. We've got this. And I got to hand it to him because I don't think anybody, even with my bad playoff takes, I don't think anybody saw this coming. Yeah. Uh, I did not. Def- I definitely did not. I thought Dallas was going to be a little bit better than you gave them credit for. Uh, you had Colorado sure. in a sweep, didn't you? I did. Yeah. So I think I had Colorado in six, something along those lines. But yeah. Um, so my hero of the week goes in line. Last week, my analytics darling was Max Pacioretty. And I had said that because he had not really scored up until that, uh, up until this week. But his uh, on-ice metrics, his individual metrics were very good. And he put up uh, two goals and an assist in four games. And I believe he had uh, a couple goals last night. I think were both goals last night. Yep. Yeah. So um, coming through, he's a guy that just has been very good and just hasn't been able to find the back of the net, but is shooting the puck a bunch and has been very good for Vegas. So um, Max Pacioretty, hero of the week on top of him being my analytics darling. Also, uh, realized... I had a nice two for one in my uh, former duck spotlight with Luke Shed. Yep. Yeah. There we go. You know. Yep. Now I I, I, I want to point out as well that Max Pacioretty is like 
one of the recent golden examples of a brilliant trade that worked out extremely well for both sides. I hate you for that. That pun. Max Pacioretty is now, you know, killing it with Vegas. He he's thriving there. He loves it. He signed that big contract extension, but at the same time, Montreal ha- now has Nick Suzuki, yeah. who absolutely was a monster in the Canadian series before they were eliminated, and he that dude's going to be a star. And I just it, it, that's another thing where that's one of those trades that you have to take a swing on. Remember, the Ducks were one of the finalists to trade for Patchetti back when he was with Montreal. And and they supposedly the report is that they weren't willing to um oh my god sorry there's just absolute chaos right now in front of the net for dallas and colorado um the report was that they uh the ducks weren't willing to include one of their toss prospects the most uh thrown around name was sam Steele, and uh so yeah actually i would do that now never mind never mind i I take that back that wouldn't have been bad that would have been fine for the ducks ducks would have been okay yep yeah so so but it was a great trade for both of them zero of the week I'll let you go on this because I think we have the same one. Um, actually, you go. Okay, my zero. Oh no 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 no! Wait 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 wait! I got it. Yes, I remember. I completely blanked for a second. We had, we Man, we actually unemp- discussed this. We did. Being unemployed has me down to two brain cells, and they're it's both fine. you know fighting to the death. Just giving you a hard time. Um, I know, I know. Um, the the zero of the week, it's the Anaheim Ducks org. The fact that they are, I believe they are one of only two teams in the NHL who has not um, issued any sort of legit team statement on the playoff uh, postponement and the social justice issues that are currently going on. All they did was, I think there was just a quote tweet from an NHL tweet that says, you know, we stand together. And that was it. And... To me, like, look, I'm not necessarily expecting the Ducks to come out. And for those of you who saw uh, the Baltimore Ravens put out a statement that was like, I think the gold standard for one of these statements where the Ravens issued their like, hey, we believe this is wrong. This shouldn't happen. And then they proceeded to list out, I think it was like five or six different actionable items that politicians could do to actually start addressing this. For all the people who always say, oh, yeah, well, they're protesting, so what are they actually going to do tangibly? Like, the Baltimore Ravens are the golden example of that. So I wasn't necessarily expecting the Ducks to go that far, but to me, when you have an entire league and so many other teams issuing statements, issuing a statement to me is just the absolute bare minimum you can do. And And they didn't even do that. And that's where I want to jump in here, because honestly, to me, I get I completely understand and I do actually agree that I think that they are my zero of the week. To me the statement it it'd be nice to have it but it would be all performative. To me what I want to see from the Ducks is actual action items of not necessarily obviously on the levels of the Ravens. Do something in the community, do something to high, to to spotlight uh all these things and to me that's what I actually do want to see. The statement would have been it, it's there but it almost would have been performative at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Um and, and so for me I want to see hopefully they're able to understand what the statement was should have been hopefully they understand that at this point there's just they're damned if they do damned if they don't they need to take that next step though and i think that that would be the way Mm -hmm. to be able to and i don't i and granted i'm gonna throw this out there i don't know what that is i I don't know what that next step is what that is they can do and actually spoiler 
you're actually going to write an article, I think, in a little bit, kind of going through maybe some things that they can do. So keep a lookout for that on the website. But um, yeah, so completely agreed. Yeah, it, I think just like off the top of my head, um, I, uh, something that they could immediately do. So so here's the thing is that they are, um, the Samuelis are a team that is extremely invested in the community. We all know this. Yes, the, Their agreed. grassroots hockey campaigns. Their, and they do a lot um, for the, the community. The score program that they do. Yeah, the score program that they do. They do a lot for the community. And um, as Ginger Wolf just pointed out in the chat, that you know, they're active in the community and he's surprised to see, not see any action here. I think that one thing that you're seeing a lot of sports teams doing is the Samuelis and the Ducks um, uh, requesting with the Orange County Board of Elections to try and make Honda Center a polling place. A lot of arenas are doing this. That would be huge and for I think expanding that's, access that, to voting. That is definitely an action item that they can do that I think puts actions instead of words. And I think right now actions are more important than words. Exactly. So that's a big one, I think, off the top of my head. And I think it would be fairly easy, too, because keep in mind, the city of Anaheim actually owns Honda Center. Um, but so the Samuelis technically don't. But look, the Samuelis are billionaires. They're running that arena. They have clout that almost nobody else has uh, in relation to the city of Anaheim. I bet if they really pushed for it, they could definitely make this happen. Yeah. Although the one thing I don't know, and this is just me speaking, I I pay attention to this stuff, but not super in depth. All of California's vote by mail, right? Yes. So, a, would a poll? I guess maybe it would be like a, uh, a like a ballot collection spot or something like that. Well, there's still going to be like in-person polling, but you do have the ability in California to drop off your mail and ballot at a polling. Site. Got it. Got it. So it would be for that. Okay. No, that's yeah. good to know. Um. So okay. So moving on. I don't really have a narrative this week because we've kind of gone over a lot of it. I don't know if you have any other good or bad narrative within the hockey world that you want to focus on. If not, we can move on to the final one of Analytics Darling. Got anything? Yeah. No, let's move on. All right, let's move on to Analytics Darling. And so my Analytics Darling is actually my narrative from last week. The New York Islanders. They're actually good. Yep. They And now, Man, I said this last happen? week. I said this last week. The Philadelphia Flyers were sub super overrated. I think yep, that they totally were a paper agree. tiger. They were the only reason why they got past Montreal was Carter Hart stood on his freaking head. And so mm -hmm. maybe this all changes as you're going to get Tampa and Islanders and New York's going to look awful against Tampa, which is definitely possible. But I think a team that is has been bad um in terms of some advanced metrics, but have turned it around these playoffs, the Islanders deserve credit for being an analytics darling because they are a team that does not get credit from the analytics community, myself included, um, because their metrics are not good. And I think that they deserve the credit for this. Yep. So absolutely. You have anyone, anything else, any person, any team, anything like that you want to add? Yeah, I got somebody, uh, Mark Stone. Okay. And Mark Stone has been, for those of you who do follow analytics, Mark Stone has basically been um, the god of analytics for the past few seasons now. With uh, some people, uh, with some people going so far as to say Mark Stone may be the best player on the planet over it's possible uh, Connor McDavid. And honestly, there's a legit. Um, I, I would say, I wouldn't say he's the most skilled player. Like I still think that's McDavid, but in terms of best overall player, when factoring in 
all the situations, offense, defense, power play, penalty kill, everything. Mark Stone has a legitimate argument as the best hockey player on the planet right now. And I think for sure he is one of the top three best players. And so far in these uh, playoffs, he's running almost 70% expected goals for. He's rocking um, a a 60% shot attempt percentage. He's scoring, uh, when he's on the ice, Vegas is scoring 4.11 goals per game and only giving up 2.19. Like, he's just, it's unbelievable how good he is. And Dmitry Filipovich had one of the best tweets I think I've seen uh, regarding Mark Stone last night where he said, Mark Stone uh, just lost a puck battle, decided it, was, decided it wasn't for him <laughs> and it going. never happened again. <laughs> and that pretty much perfectly encapsulates what kind of player he is, is just that he is the guy who I legitimately do not think Mark Stone has a single weakness in his game. Not even a, something that is below average. Yeah. I think he's either slightly above average or amazing at everything. He is the definition of a complete hockey player, and we're seeing that in the numbers. Yep, agreed. All right, we got a couple questions. Uh, also, if anyone in the Switch chat has questions they want us to answer, throw them in there. Um, our good buddy Scott uh, mentioned on Twitter... Have your draft pick feelings changed in the last little bit? And specifically to me, do you still think that Holtz gets the nod? So I've been a very big Holtz uh, on the Holtz bandwagon. Here's my thing. Here's my ranking of players realistically the Ducks could get in order of I want them versus I still would be very happy with them, um, obviously, because I think anyone in this mix is very good. But for me, it goes Rossi, Drysdale, Holtz, uh Perfetti and Raymond are about the same for me personally. And I know that I'm lower on both those than a lot of people, but for me, that's where I'm at. And I've kind of stayed in that place for a while now. Have your feelings changed? Because you're a guy that's actually much higher on Perfetti than I am. And yeah, um, I, at this point, I am going to be surprised if Perfetti makes a best pass Detroit. I think he's going to Detroit Um, though. Also. Yeah, just because he's Saginaw, you know, he's literally a couple so of hours outside. Yeah, they, there's a, they're just a couple of hours outside of Detroit. Um, he's the type of player, just a very dynamic forward who has just so many skill sets and is a great skater. Like, he's he's the player profile that just screams Steve Eiserman's name. Yeah. Um, uh, so I, I will be shocked if he does make it past four, but I have Perfetti actually ranked higher than all of them. Perfetti of those people, Perfetti would be the highest ranked for me because I am a big fan of his. Um, after him, I would put, um, Rossi and I wasn't huge on Rossi at first, but I have You've seen up. the light. Jake. You've seen the light. I have. It's Felix. I have seen the light and I'm, I've been growing a lot. <laughs> I've been growing a lot more on Rossi. So I would put Perfetti, Rossi. Um, I would put Holtz after, Drysdale, and then Raymond. I think I'm the same with you on Raymond. I know um, there are our a Swedish lot of people counterparts that love are, yeah, especially European-focused people really, really, yeah. really love Raymond. Um, so that's going to be interesting to see how he develops. But that is basically my rankings and right now. Raymond may be the guy the Ducks take. I mean, as I've thought about it more, it would make a lot of sense for Raymond to go to the Ducks, and I wouldn't be mad about it either. I here's my here's what I think all Ducks fans should realize: any of these players have the potential to be very, very good. Yep. So I, I think that's the key thing to note here. All right. So let now I do want to I do want to say really quick because I've been asked about this a lot why I would pick Holtz over Drysdale, and you know honestly I do believe obviously the defense is a need for the Ducks. It's a pretty big need. Yeah. 
But in my opinion, goal scoring is still an even bigger need. And we saw this season that even with kind of a makeshift defensive core, the Ducks weren't awful on defense. They weren't good, but they weren't terrible. And they had a, quite a bit of time where they were kind of right in the middle of the league with defense. And so to me, but like they're near the bottom of offensive scoring. And you have Trevor Zegras, who potentially could be a, an offensive game breaker. But he's really the only high-ceiling offensive person that the yeah. Ducks have in their system right now. The Ducks need another high-offense person. And to me, that's one of the reasons why I have Holtz. While Holtz may have more holes in his game, Holtz's ceiling is like perennial 40-goal scorer. Like, that's how good his shot is. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why I have him above, uh, above Drysdale. It's close, but I have him slightly above. Yeah, no, 100% agree there. Um, I, I it It's... It's give or take with me with Holt and Drysdale. I think that you can make the argument sure. either way. Um, so, I don't think there's a wrong answer there. So we've got a couple of questions from our Twitch chat. By the way, for those of you out there, we do a live stream of the show each and every time if you listen to the recorded version or the YouTube version at twitch.tv slash crash the pond. If you want to help support the show, you can do it there in a way that's completely free to you if you have Amazon Prime. You just have to hit that subscribe button and uh, link your Amazon Prime account to your Twitch account and redo that and just hit that subscribe button every 30 days it helps out more than you can imagine so go ahead and do that but so we got a couple questions lewis has a non-hockey question and since you're the baseball guy and we know lewis is a angels slash norcal fan i guess technically yeah bay area fan not could be either bay area team from what i've seen um but he's like that uh not really a question but a suggestion the san francisco giants are in a wild card spot everyone should root for them since the angels are just there they're not even just there the angels are <laughs> dog shit yeah i mean let me give you this <laughs> suggestion if you're an angels fan root for the padres actually padres are fun. yeah no i'm i am fully on board the padres train right now they are they're so fun the trade deadline was uh, just ended up today and the padres made like five big deals clevenger they still kept they still kept like it's so funny the padres um farm system is so deep oh no no this is great the Padres farm system is so deep that they made these major deals and they only went back one spot to number two in the farm system rankings. Wow. Like that's ridiculous. And so Tatis Jr. Incredible. Um, I, I'm fully on board the Padres bandwagon. Although I will say uh, Lewis, that if I'm going to pick a Bay area team, it's going to be the A's. I think the A's are really fun as well. And I just, they're a lot more of an exciting team to me than San Francisco is. It's just my personal opinion. Fair enough. All right, so we got a couple more questions. Let's blitz on through them. Uh, Ginger Wolf asks, question for CJ. What do you think Pasternak's weaknesses are? That's a very good question. Um, I need to look this up because usually in watching him, I've kind of had a hunch on this, and I need to see. Give me just one second here. We obviously know that he's an amazing goal scorer, um, he's the perfect complement for the perfection line. That's for those of you who don't know. That's what they call the Bergeron Pasternak Marchand line. Um, that being said, I I do have I've always felt that Pasternak was not very good defensively. That he's mostly a trigger man. And looking at his uh, regularized adjusted plus minus charts from evolving hockey. Um, looking at it, yeah, he's not awful defensively, but he's definitely in the negatives. He's so, a prototypical um, winger. 
he's your prototypical winger and you know Marshawn um, or Marshawn I think is is definitely a lot better defensively yeah then that he's he's definitely got some good defensive instincts and a look at some of his numbers will tell you the same and then obviously everybody knows Bergeron is a defensive god but um uh Pasternak I and I and I think that does speak to Pasternak's perfect placement on that line the fact that look he may not be great at defense but you have two skaters already who can help make up for that and you have a guy who can just launch a puck and receive it whenever you know need be so I I I I would say his defense isn't the best but even then that's probably the biggest knock I have on his game and it's not a very big knock yep all right so question from Heyo Deflo who survives if the Ducks miss the playoffs again next season? Murray, Eakins, both or neither. So just for reference, last episode, I said that I think Murray may go and Eakins would stay. See, I would agree. That's that's my... Because I think um, Eakins was more of a, a Samueli pick. I think that's an... Eakins was a Samueli pick more so than I think a Murray pick, to be honest. That, and, and, and honestly, that's what I've gotten from as well. I think that Eakins was definitely the Samueli pick. That said, Murray has had such a long leash for so long. This is his team. He's clearly set in motion a plan for approaching the expansion draft. And um, he only, and Bob Murray only has one more year on his deal after this year. So I've, my traditional thinking has always been that they basically let, I, I think my, my overall impression has been that these are the last couple of years of Bob Murray, no matter what before he potentially retires or retreats into like a front office advisor type situation. Because I think even if he does do well and they keep him around, I don't see him outlasting past his contract, past the expansion draft. But I will agree that if somebody does go, um, it would probably be well, Murray. If they here's my argument again. for Murray pre-expansion draft is the Samuelis must understand after last expansion draft, how much that can impact a franchise. So if you yeah. do not, if you lose confidence in him, you should move him. You should let him go before it. And I think that that's mm-hmm. the key thing there. Um, and then Lewis chimes in. This is the final question. What percentage would you put the Kings picking Stutzla at? You go for this one. I think 50-50. I'm going to give it a little bit better odds at that. I'm going 55-45 they take Stutzla. Oh, that's, that's like barely more. All right, be, fine. 60-40. Okay, fair. 60-40. There, there you go. Be bolder, you know. I uh, Just all of the, the, the things that the uh, LA Scouts have talked about, as Rob Blake has talked about, Bob McKenzie's rankings, there's a lot of reason to believe that the Kings, I don't necessarily know if the Kings have made a final decision on that, but I would probably put it greater than 50-50 that they're going to go Stutzley at two. Yeah, I actually, I would say, I say 50-50, but I lean towards the Stutzley over Byfield, honestly. Um yeah all right kind of that's it for questions anything are you watching anything right now Any anything that you want to you want to give a shout out to in, in this pandemic era that you want to that you've enjoyed on tv outside of hockey oh geez um you know and yes this was just an comfort- elaborate this was just an elaborate ploy for me for you to talk about this for me to then talk about something i want to talk about <laughs> fair enough um i will say that um it, Parks and Recreation is one of my favorite TV shows of all time, and I love it just because it's so it's such an optimistic 
show. It's a life-affirming show. It's a show that's still, to this day, I've watched it so many times, and I still laugh out loud at it. And it's gotten me through some tough times. And I think, you know, everybody's going through tough times right now. Um, This is a a very difficult time in these unprecedented times. Unprecedented. God, if I hear another commercial do that, I'm going to ram my head through the drywall. Unprecedented, Um, CJ. Unprecedented. Yeah, but that... But that being said, um, I just feel like Parks and Recreation is just a show that can help leave a little bit of optimism uh, in this world. And so if you guys need to pick me up, definitely go watch that show. Don't worry. Skip the first season. First season, not that great. Just Wikipedia what happens. Second season onward gets amazing. Yep. Um, yeah, this was all an elaborate ploy for me to say uh, the Tottenham uh, documentary, All or Nothing, uh, Tottenham is up on Amazon Only Prime. do that if you're a masochist. Or or you're in inter- No, so here's the thing. If you enjoyed, like, the HBO 24-7 series, by the way, it's 6-3. Uh, Colorado had just scored Dallas. or D- Sorry, Dallas just scored. There's an empty net now with th- five with minutes five left minutes. in the game. This yep. is amazing. Um, but oh, uh, yes. Tot- Tottenham All or Nothing is on Amazon Prime. The first three episodes are out. If you like HBO 24-7, this is that over the course of an entire season. It's insanely interesting to watch. My wife, who absolutely despises soccer, actually, um, put just man and actually went to games with me in England to see Tottenham play, still just puts up with me watching it, does not enjoy it. Enjoyed watching the documentary last night somewhat. Um, found herself saying, wow, watching some of the players practice, things like that. But you get behind the scenes and you get to see uh, player-manager interactions. You get to see Jose Mourinho come in and be a complete dick to Deli Ali, um, to put it lightly. Um, it definitely hurt because I had to see uh, my uh, Tottenham fire Mauricio Pochettino and bring in Jose Mourinho, which is essentially like the Ducks bringing in Randy Carlisle again. So... If you're interested, if you like soccer, it's a must-watch. Man, watch. we are just dropping Twitch streamers right now. We actually gain one right now. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Boom. But very, very good. Um, what else? Oh, All Out. Wrestling Talk. All Out is this upcoming Saturday. AEW, oh, great. WWE, the Roman Reigns heel turn was fantastic. Why do they have to give him the title right away? Let it build. Slow burn. Let The Fiend have the title for a little. Made no sense really made me angry by the way i want to leave this on a uh, a hot take here since lewis just brought it up um the office is insanely overrated yeah. and parks and rec just runs circles around you're, it you're incorrect there and i'm not even someone who loves uh-uh. the office and you're incorrect nope. there nope you're you're, you're just bold face wrong so i think that's gonna do it for nice for tonight so if you want to help support the show you can find us obviously at crash the pond uh or crash yeah ginger wolf just says now you're dropping people um, you can find us at crashspawn.com. You can find our weekly articles. I think this week it's supposed to be, is it you that's, that's on it or is it Felix? I don't know. I think it's Felix actually, regardless, yeah. there'll be an article kind of almost 31 thoughtsy breaking down the past week in hockey. Um, and there's going to be some more content just, uh, as the weeks go on, obviously as the ducks come back, we'll get more and more on the website as we go. Um, you can also find me um, on Twitter at ReindeerGames91. You can find the website at Crash the Pond, And you can also find CJ at CJ Woodling. The fact that his Twitter handle is not showing on your screen right now if you're watching a video is completely on me. Completely my fault. I dropped the ball there. Sorry, CJ. I already I have it him some- for it. I have it somewhere. I just, uh, we had started, you know, couldn't find it. Got lazy. My fragile ego can't handle this omission. Yeah, and if you want to help support the show, um, like I said, twitch.tv slash Crash the Pond. You can find our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Crash Pond if you want to like the video there, watch it there. It helps us out a lot. 
Um, if you want to help support the show monetarily, you can find us at patreon.com slash crash the pond, where for the dollar tier, you get access to our Patreon exclusive discord channel, which is a lot of fun. A lot of really good people in there. It's a fun little community. Um, some of the people in this Twitch chat are in there and they can definitely, um, uh, verify that it, it's a good time in there for at the $5 tier. You get two bonus episodes a month where we kind of just kind of riff. It honestly is a lot like this episode, but even more so. Um, and also if you want to do it in a way that's completely free to you, leave us an Apple podcast review. It helps out a lot. Um, we, we've really enjoyed getting those, seeing those reviews from people, seeing from all over the world, all over the country. And so if you want to help us out in a way that's for you, drop us a review on Apple, uh, Apple podcasts. Um, anything I missed there? I think that kind. I think that covered it. I think that covered it. Oh, uh, we're on Facebook. Facebook, Crash the Pond. Articles get posted there. If you're more of a Facebook than a Twitter person, you can find us on there. So I think that's gonna do it for night for tonight. Any last words for everyone? Hi guys, thanks for having me on. Thanks for staying with us while the inmates have ran the asylum. And uh, let's let's have a let's have a good rest of the playoffs here. We did an okay job with this running the asylum. We didn't burn it down. What a ringing endorsement. I did an okay job. No, it wasn't you. It, down. it was me. I was giving myself crap. It's on me. When when Felix isn't love here, yourself, we don't... Jake. Practice self-love. When we don't have Felix here, there's no adult in the room to keep us on track. Oh, it's, yeah, this is more fun. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Have a good one, everyone. Bye. Bye.